welcome to The Atypical Leader with Rick Brennan, where we talk about harnessing what makes you unique and maybe even a little odd, while at the same time dismantling the notion that you have to be a certain type of person or act a certain way to be an effective leader. Definitely a leader, not a follower. I like the sound of this. It's time for us atypical leaders to come out of the shadows and learn to be proud and confident in what makes us different. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I am. Atypical leader starts now. Hi, I'm Rick Brennan, and welcome to the Atypical Leader Podcast. Judy's playing hooky, but we hope to have her back next week. But so let's get started. Last week, we started a conversation with Claire Kumar of Happy Space Podcast, a neurodiverse leadership educator and consultant. We talked about the different ways for leaders to get the most out of their team, which we're going to continue today. It's clear that people on any team have a vast array of personality traits and various skills with it becoming more and more evident that people are atypical and neurodiverse and even have a different set of skills that need to be recognized and used properly. So we're going to continue that conversation today with Claire. I love her phrase, tune in before you lean in. So basically understand your people, your environment first before taking action. And I got to tell you, as I reflect back on that comment, there's so many times in my career where my mouth got flapping before my brain got working, causing me to have to backtrack, redo things, lose time. So we're going to continue our conversation today talking about how self-awareness, awareness of others, communication, and how other tools can help to maximize everyone's talents on your team. So let's get back to talking to Claire. Maybe I can just switch gears just a little onto the diagnosed and undiagnosed because as you talk about mm-hmm. that self-awareness you know a lot there's a lot of talk well i have i have this or i have that and uh, you know sometimes people go and they get a diagnosis and it, i guess to their boss it validates that they have these neurological issues at the other time i think there's a vast amount of people that go undiagnosed mm-hmm. and to me I mean, sure. I mean, get diagnosed if you really need help, and you so on. But at the end of the day, I don't. I think it's knowing yourself. It's it's knowing yourself, knowing your skills, knowing what you're good at, diagnosed or not diagnosed, and working with that to create the best environment for you, or get yourself in the right environment where you can produce the best work, be happy, be satisfied, be all those things. Well, I'll tell you one of the big challenges right now because I agree with you. I have a hashtag I use that says "Never mind the labels." Right? Never mind that. Just work to find out what your challenge is and how to mitigate the challenge. But the challenge in organizations is your leader understands how to deal with a diagnosis because in the practices, HR practices, we have accommodations for diagnosed conditions. You give me a medical note, I know what to do with that. If you don't have a medical note, ah, deer in the headlights, I don't know what to do with it. And now that question of what's fair comes up. Right? right? And if I give you something, do I have to give everybody something? And so the panic sets in, everything shuts down. And now you're a troublemaker rather than somebody looking for help. And now I just want you to be quiet and go away. Right. Oh, I've seen it so many times. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So how do we get at that? That's why the equity over equality conversation is really very much part of this discussion. And understanding the medical model versus the social model of disability is very important because we look at some of the conditions that are diagnosable 
for neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, there are many people who are identifying with the challenges who haven't got diagnosis because I have another hashtag, I use diagnosis as privilege. They're expensive, time-consuming, and not always readily available. And so we are operating a lot of times from a self-awareness perspective and an identification of struggle. And I think that ought to be good enough. Um, if somebody, for example, with sensory overwhelm says, you know, the fluorescent lights or the light temperature, where was I yesterday? Oh, I was at my Honda dealership and the overhead lighting was so intense, just way too high lumen output. It was exhausting. And I said to the girl at the desk, I said, these lights are too bright. She said, yeah, I know we have and catering to calm things down for the people who are sensitive will generally make the whole environment more hospitable for everyone. So, right. you know, I think there's so much opportunity. Yeah, I think I'd also add that is that it's almost the, for management to flip their headset and realize that people with certain neurological conditions really bring skills that could advantage my team. For example, we had someone on our podcast, Adriana, the other week, who's OCD and who is mm -hmm. definitely – has taken that skill to become one of like an organizational expert. Yeah. So she's taken that, created a, an opportunity. Now she's, you know, executive assistant to CEO. She's had an organizational sort of business. And I think that that's what we need. Who are you looking for? What do you want them to do? And maybe inside of that neurodiversity are those people you're looking for. And it's not on that typical side of the scale. Yeah. I mean, I can go through a little bit if you like. I have a seed model, I call it, for high sensitivity and talk a little bit to the strength and say it is, would, would you want the person that's going to smell fire first? Would you not value that right sensitivity? On. Yeah, for sure. Right? There's no one who's going to argue, no, I want the person who goes, hey, you know, after 10 minutes burning, yeah, I think I smell something. No, we value sensitivity. We value noticing. But we don't, we haven't really articulated that and we don't talk about it in society. We, we have it in places like you, you'll you know have mystery shoppers. Guarantee you, those people are full on noticers. It's so it's it's interesting. The, the, can I? Do you want me to run through this? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is um, based on Elaine Aaron's "Be More Clear." Sensitive person. We have this incredible rich seed, and if with the right conditions, we can provide incredible value. If you take those conditions away, we will shrivel and be nothing. So SEED stands for sensitivity to stimuli. So we notice all of that sensory input. So it'll be light, sound, smell, texture, emotional energy. So much we'll notice. The challenge around that and where it becomes a struggle is if the lights are very bright, if the noise is overwhelming, if the textures are sharp or rough, if somebody's emotional energy is abrasive. All of those things will cause us to, to react to them probably more so than somebody else and deplete one's energy. I, I liken it to, if we're going to talk music as an example, I would say to couples when I was working in people's homes, helping them get organized and somebody isn't bothered by visual clutter and somebody is, I would say, well, imagine your music, your genre of music that you really is not your cup of tea. You find it irritating. And imagine somebody's got a boombox by your head and they've cranked it up. That's the equivalent of that visual chaos for someone who's sensitive to the visual stimuli. You can use the same analogy with food. There's usually a food that 
somebody doesn't like, it's going to be wildly different than the person beside them. But if you had to have lunch and it was only that food, that's like a sensitive person being asked to be in an environment that is continually taxing. So sensitivity to stimuli, huge. Empathy. Empathy is the first E. And do we not recognize the value of tuning into somebody else's perspective and feeling and imagining what they're going to feel? It's the root of compassion. We have to have empathy before we can have compassion, which is acting on empathy. But where is that balance? Because I know I could just see me talking to my kids and saying, talking like that. And they'd be like, well, there's empathy. And then there's like, you know, when is it just too much? I mean, you know, when is it just, you know, we're all having fun and somebody, you know, doesn't like something because they would complain that like me, I'm getting old now. And when music is too loud, I can't filter what people are, when people are talking to me, I can't hear. And they're just like, oh my God, really? We've got to shut, got to turn down the music for dad, but I can't be myself when, so you know what I mean? It's where you're just too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it goes to what are you trying to accomplish in the space? right? What are you trying to accomplish by being there? Is it something where you're inviting everyone to participate? I'll give you an example of the collision conference, right? This is a high-tech conference in Toronto that they host at a convention center. And the way it's designed, now this is high-tech people. So you know, there are a lot of neurodivergent people in the crowd, right? right? So there are a lot of people with sensory sensitivity. They have made zero, 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 zero uh, attention paid to create a work environment and you're expecting them to contribute, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right on. So so thinking about what you're what you're hoping to achieve. You know, I when I was helping people in their homes or or even looking at an office, where does someone who needs a lot of stimulation, where are they going to get it? Well, give them a space that's there so they can create it. But if they need to make a lot of noise, then maybe they need a private office. But you'll run into the question, but private offices, they were for the higher ups, no not kidding, it wasn't based yeah. on any kind of physiological or neurological need, right? So it's saying strip away ego is really what's coming up for me in this conversation. Right. Strip away ego and look at what you want to accomplish. Look at who you've got there to accomplish it. And now design together. What does that look like? What does that look like so everyone can have their best shot at it? There's going to be compromise. So sometimes I'll wear earplugs when I'm out. And it might mean that, and this happened before when I I, I um, had vocal nodes at one point and I lost the ability to talk. I was ordered not to talk um, for some time. I think it was my ex-husband's favorite time. Actually, <laughs> that time. Yes. I just simmered in places, in restaurants to preserve my vocal cords because I'm a speaker coach. I don't want to tax my vocal cords in a really loud place, but I still want to participate. So I do what I can to mitigate earplugs, um, writing. Um, I wear sunglasses. I do what I can to block and enable my participation. At the same time, I have left restaurants because I've said, is there any possibility to turn down the music? No, that's the way we like it. Okay, I'm not your client. Yeah, no, I've had that conversation. Can I take you back to ego? Because the thing is, it's ego stands in the way of many things, really driving a team forward. But the way I've seen it, we've talked a lot in our podcast about it, is when you took a look at the typical executive, they've got there really being self-reliant. 
Really, they've yeah. done the things. They've gone out. They've got educated to get the breast marks. They've, they've taken all the right steps. They've done it on their own, which really stimulates that ego part of their personality. I've done it on myself. This is getting where I want to go, and I'm going to continue. And really, it's hard for humility to creep in there. So that, but those are the decision makers in company. And how do how do we help them get past that and allow that what we've been talking about to happen? We need more examples. Um, of leaders who do this well. And I think one of them is Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. He's the first person I, I mean, I was looking for male examples in particular for my leadership workshop. And his name came up several times. If you look into his life experience, and this is where I see it. Life experiences where a leader has had to personally tap into empathy. So he has a child with cerebral palsy. Right. And he has another child with um, developmental um, challenges as well, I believe. I'm not sure how to describe them properly. But he had to realize that the people in his own family needed, they needed greater care. I think for his son, his wife and his son actually moved to Vancouver when he was in Seattle um, so that he could have the care um, at a school that uh, would help him. So... Personal experience, I, I interviewed somebody, um, Keith Isaac from TD Bank, whose daughter has autism. And it's his lived experience with autism that said, I want opportunities for, I want my daughter to have more opportunity than I'm currently seeing she's presented with. So I want to do something to change it. And so it's honestly, it's storytelling and it's leaders talking about it, spreading, spreading the opportunity, and also celebrating, to your point earlier, the rich talents. I mean, look, look if we were marginalizing people in wheelchairs, would, what, would we, what would we have had from Stephen Hawking? Right. Right? We have genius. What would we have from Richard Branson? Dyslexia goes along with Richard Branson. And so the creative thinking, different, different ways of approaching things. We, we have to start seeing and being prepared to See equity over equality, but also embrace patience and embrace team as much as task. And if we're going to think about people with the same weight as task, then we'll be able to have room for this. We'll be able to make room for the conversation. It's asking a lot for someone who's driven for numbers and fundamentally believes that humans are expendable. Right. I can just burn out another one, right? So it's a big, big belief switch change. Um, I do want to just say we should uh, close off the seed model just so that people aren't hanging going, S-E, what happened to the other E? And the other D? <laughs> would you, well, I try to do this, the podcast, not leave oh. the second one, which is also really, really important, emotional responsiveness. So in, in a highly sensitive person's brain, the parts of the brain that are reacting to emotion will be bigger. And so you can imagine joy is bigger. So is frustration. So is anger. All of the things can kind of unleash a lot. And I have a real hypothesis that this is what happened to Will Smith at the Oscars when he Okay. I'm interested in this. Right. Well, that was his high. He just received the Oscar. And in the next minute, and that was a high emotion, right? So full on high. And then in the next minute, He's got a tumultuous relationship, I think, with, with his wife. And then history, back history around abuse and, and violence and so on, all of that came to a head. 
he wasn't his self-regulated, his most regulated self. The emotional responsiveness was massive, was a lot for any human to take in in that few minutes. Um, and we saw what we saw what happened. So emotional responsiveness, wonderful, and also needs a lot of skill building. So I've, I've coached a lot of people on that piece. Well, I can relate to that because I'd say I'm a victim of that for sure. I'm one that if I'm feeling comfortable in my skin, in my environment, I'm one guy. And the minute you put me where I'm feeling minimized, ridiculed, made fun of, I'm a totally different guy. And I react yeah. to things very, very differently. Yeah. So our emotional resilience is something that we can all, all be working on. But for highly sensitive people in particular, I know it's something I'm looking at. Okay, I'm going to feel all the things. There's no question I'm going to feel all the things. But how quickly can right. I center? Yeah. How quickly can I come back? The D is super powerful. This is depth of processing. This is where we're connecting the ideas in our brains in different ways, in ways that other people wouldn't. So we're processing, and, and this is where our incredible creativity comes from. It's also where our tendency to overthink and deeply, that's the, that's the, to talk about the definition of the opportunity to design for them, but also build skills as well so that we can navigate better. Right. Well, there's a lot to learn, isn't there? It's, uh, it's very interesting how, you know, the more people we talk, like yourself here today, that I know the more I'm learning, I think the more we're sharing with everybody. And, and I think we're absolutely heading in the right direction, not in the right, just in the right direction to be more inclusive or recognize newer diversity, but to grab the skills that those people have that can help drive high-performance teams. Well, yeah, if you listen to other episodes of my podcast, one of the points we make is this diversity idea, which is not just a do the right thing, it's good business sense. You have better outcomes. You have better business outcomes with a more diverse workforce. So I've just seen people being, the, the environment, whether it's the, the physical space or the culture, invites people to burn out or opt out. And I'm saying, you know what? We need to stop squandering human potential. It's, this is, should be a crime. When we've got someone who's got a lot to offer, let's fight their best. Performance. Although the leader might have that sense of where we want to go, that means mm -hmm. that the people I hire now have to have a greater sense of that. That the testing process I put potential employees through has to change and become more sensitive to that. That the mechanism behind it all has to change. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very slow to happen. So the great intention at the top, but it doesn't filter down into actual change that allows me to find those people. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a pervasive shift because you're going to have different language. You're going to have different hiring processes. You're going to have different onboarding processes, all of it, right? It's, it's, it's really rewiring the way we operate. Right. But I think one of the biggest challenges is for leaders that I see is they're in an organization and they're not seeing this message from the top, yet they're feeling the need to be able to be in this dialogue with their teams. So my big invitation is every leader can create their own subculture and start infusing it with the way they want to be. Uh, and, and that's where I think the opportunity lies is for each leader and their immediate team to start figuring out how do you want to work? How do you want to operate? And then spread it from there. hundred percent. Well, that was a very interesting conversation. Thank you very much for being the interviewee and the, keeping me in line. I know she did that a couple of <laughs> times very skillfully. So thank you for that. 
Oh, you're welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Rick. Okay. Well, you have a good day. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. I hope so. Thanks. Thanks Okay. Bye now. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Claire as much as I have. If I could, I'd like to summarize the conversation over the last few weeks by giving you a few takeaways. First, and the most common sense one, if you maximize the individual skills of your employees on your team, your team will perform better. I mean, come on, what could make more sense than that? Who could disagree with that? But here's the thing. It sounds simple, but it's not. How do you identify and corral those skills? How do you give people what they need to be at their best, still being fair and equitable to everyone? How do you develop a sensitivity and understanding of the undiagnosed, atypical, and neurodiverse? Well, those are the things that kind of hold us back from moving forward, but at the same time, they're the challenges that we need to face if we really want to grow our teams into high-performance teams. We need to rethink our management styles, rethink the way we think individually, develop a greater level of empathy, humility, and compassion. Now, I don't say this like I'm some sort of bleeding heart liberal, but it all starts with you. Be you the employee, the manager, or the boss. Tune in before you lean in. Understand your environment and your employees. Start to create your own subculture. Focus on your team, on what you can do. Don't wait for everyone else around you to do it. Be that person. If you're an employee, help create that environment. Speak up. Be open. Be that person. It's something that we all need to strive for. Well, we're going to wrap it up here today. Thank Claire for joining us over the last couple of weeks. And I wish you all the best day. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today and listening to another episode of The Atypical Leader. If you haven't already done so, like, share, and follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. By liking and sharing, you will help other atypicals find all of us. So we can all start to leverage the stories, strategies, and strengths of what make us all unique. Keep listening and remember, take charge and push away those self-doubts. Leverage what we're talking about. Be confident in who you are and proud of what makes you unique. So join me, Rick Brennan, and my co-host, Judy Sims, on the next episode of The Atypical Leader. And don't forget to get your copy of the book, The Atypical Leader, Harnessing the Power of Neurodiversity on Amazon. To learn more about us, leadership, and neurodiversity, please go to our website, atypicalleader.com. Thanks for listening. Let's do it again next week.